We are uh, wrapping up a series we've been in for the last few weeks called Leading Second. And if you're new, just joining us today, or, or maybe you haven't caught the whole series, really what this series is about is what it means to be a Christian. In its very simplest form, what we need to know is that as a Christian, we are to be following first and leading second. The point isn't that we shouldn't lead. The point is that we should learn to follow. Because the reality is, all of us struggle to follow. Is that just me? It's like hardwired into us as babies. You want to know the most difficult person in my family is? My beautiful, perfect, seven-year-old, just-turned-seven daughter. She is resistant to almost any kind of instruction. Eye rolls, I'll tell you where she gets it from, and it is not me. <laughs> All of us are resistant to this idea of having authority in our life, that we're not the leaders, that we're not the ones that get to choose what we do, and it's not about our preferences and not about our ideals. We, we buckle up and bristle up and resist that. And what we're learning from is this idea that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. That to be a Christian is first and foremost to be a Christ follower. And today I want to show you another verse where Paul said something similar. This is going to kick us off today. It is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He says, brothers and sisters, become imitators of me and watch those who live this way. You can use us as models. This is where we get the idea of discipleship. That understand discipleship is not merely being a student. Now, discipleship is about much more than that. Discipleship, it's not even just something that pertains to the Bible. It's not just found in the Bible. Discipleship, a disciple is someone who actively imitates both the life and teachings of their master. When somebody became a disciple, it was a deliberate submission so that you might become a fully formed representation of your master. And that's what I want to hone in on today, that it's very simplest terms, to, to be a disciple, to be a Christ follower, I want you to understand that discipleship is about formation. Discipleship is about formation. God has so much more for you than just salvation. Salvation's good. It's awesome. But it doesn't end there. There's more than just praying a prayer. There's more than just surrendering your life in a moment. See, when you understand that when you're, you're not just saved in a moment, but you're actually being saved, and you will be saved. We need a bigger understanding definition of salvation, but after you place your faith in Jesus, now you begin this journey of formation. God invites you into a life where you are constantly being formed into the image of Jesus. Paul would write about this later, not just in Philippians 3.17, but in Romans chapter 12, he said this, Do not be shaped by this world. Instead, be changed within, transformed by a new way of thinking. 
Then you will be able to discern what is God's will. How many of you know, want to know what God's will is? You ever wonder, what is God's will in this situation? Well, you got to be transformed. Then you'll be able to know what God's will is. And you'll know what is good and pleasing to him and what's perfect. How many of you want to please God? You want to, well, you got to be transformed. It's formation. And the truth is, many of us are not being transformed. We're being malformed. We're, we're being malformed by the world around us. You see, Christianity is not the only culture that makes disciples. The world we live in is aggressively trying to press you into its shape, its way of living. It's called the spirit of the age. Paul calls it that. Now, when he writes this in Romans, you know, like this was not written during the time of social media and algorithms that were designed to influence you to react and think a certain way. Yet even before that, he recognizes that there is a spirit of the age that is constantly pressing and molding and shaping your soul. And the Bible says that if you're not being transformed, and this is what's happened, the Bible calls this word carnal. Carnal. Now, if you're a carnal Christian or carnally minded, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. You are authentically converted. You are going to heaven. That's awesome. But if you're carnal, what it means is that the majority of your life and your decisions that you make, they have not yet been influenced by God's creative intent. A person who's carnal is influenced by the spirit of the age. They're influenced by whatever's popular. They're influenced by whatever's trending. They're influenced by whatever culture is saying is the norm. And the reality is, if you are not actively being transformed, then you are actively being malformed. You are being shaped in one way or the other. So how do we move from being shaped by the world to being formed into a follower of Christ? Well, Paul says, brothers and sisters, become imitators of me. Watch those who live this way. You can use us as models. Now, I like this verse because I always wanted to be a model. So I resonate with it. But some of you laughed a little too much at that. Understand, he's not talking about fashion. He's talking about formation. Less about clothes, more about clay. He says, I, I want you to be shaped by discipleship. Discipleship shaped. Ship shape. Have you ever heard that word before? It's, it's a nautical word, ship shape. just means everything is in order. Everything is, is the way it should be. I want to talk to you today about ship shape. Ship shape. You just need to ask somebody next to you. Are you in ship shape? You know, you are not participating. I might just come out there and make it awkward for all of us. Are you in ship shape? Ship shape. Well, there's five things that I want to give you today 
to help you look for in your life. Some are like, I'm in a different kind of shape, but it's not ship shape. I want to give you some things today to help you look for in life, to to model, to identify some markers, to, to signify whether or not you're becoming a fully formed follower of Christ. Ship shape. And the first one I want to talk to you about is worship. Worship. You'll know that your life is being transformed when you want to worship. Now, let me talk about this for a minute. might be interesting for you to know that God is not seeking worship. He's not seeking worship. doesn't need it. But God is seeking worshipers. He is seeking worshipers. Let me show this to you in John 4, 23. This is Jesus talking. He says, hey, there's a new time that's coming. In fact, it is already here. True worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father is looking for. So, as a Christ follower, the type of people God is looking for is a worshiper. The, the first signifier, marker of discipleship would be a desire to worship. Now, let me tell you, worship is not about music. It's not. But it is about your focus. It is about your, your posture. Now, we have a, a worship night coming up next week. And... Maybe uh, what I'm going to tell you is going to help set the stage for why nights of worship matter. But we often come to church. I said worship is about a focus. When we come to church, we're often focused on our brokenness, focused on our dysfunction, focused on what's wrong in our life, focused on a need that we have. And maybe I'm talking to somebody here and you're like, I don't know. I don't really have much wrong in my life. I don't have a lot of needs. Well, maybe what you need is more vision because the essence of vision is to believe that things can be better. And so maybe what you need is that you need some more vision for your life. But, but we come and, and we've, we've got some stuff that we're, we're working through, that we're dealing with. And I'm concerned sometimes that when we come to church, we're just focused on what we need in the moment. And what I'm, I'm trying to help you see as a church is that we don't just come to receive. We don't just come to get something. We come because we have something to give. We, we give God our worship. Now, let me tell you, it's not wrong to come with a need. If you come with a need, that is okay. I'm glad that you're here. In fact, I believe that God is going to meet your need. When you come, I come with a need. It's honoring to God to come with a need. Because when you, you come and say, God, I, I, I need help. I need you to speak to me. I need your wisdom. I need guidance in this situation. I need you to to Bring a breakthrough here. I I need healing. I I need something, God. But let me be very clear. Worship is your opportunity to remind yourself that God is what you need. God is what you need. I I know you've got some other needs in your life. I know your relationship is dysfunctional and it is stressing you out right now. But can I tell you, God is what you need? I know that you're anxious about the future 
and what's going to happen in that situation, but God is what you need. I know that you're concerned about your kids and you're wondering if they're going to make the right decision and you're stressed about that circumstance, but God is what you need. I know you're dealing with some financial pressure right now, but can I tell you, God is what you need. I know sometimes you don't feel noticed, you feel overlooked, you feel insignificant, but let me tell you, God is what you need. And worship is your opportunity to remind yourself that God is what you need. Because, <laughs> like, sometimes I see people, we're talking about what it means to be a Christian, right? And it's like they're trying to be a Christian without God. Like, you think you're going to overcome that spirit of heaviness by yourself? You think that you are going to overcome that addiction without God. You think you're going to stay married without God? You think you're going to break free from that without God? And see, what happens, you can hear something like this, and because you are a smart person, you can cognitively understand that this is right and assume that you are practicing it experientially. Like, how many of you know you need God? Yes, we all need God. Are you living like it? I'll help you with this. You want to know why worship matters? You seek what you need. You want to know why you can't get off your phone? Because you are seeking a dopamine hit. I'll, I'll go with a different illustration. Have you ever had to be somewhere and you misplace your keys? You will turn your house upside down trying to find the keys. You got to get to that place. I don't care if I have to unmake my bed and I don't know why my keys would be in my bed, but I am going to tear this place apart when I need something. You seek what you need. And worship, it's a reminder that you need God. When I'm looking for something that I need, I seek it until I find it. And God requires the seek. Because the, the seek is the reminder that God is what you need. God doesn't make you seek because he's trying to be hard to find. The seeking is the reminder that you need him. You're trying to do life without God. You can't. Some of you are smart, but you have lost your seek. You've got some swag, but no seek. You're savvy, no seek. Had some success, but no seek. And because you have no seek, you have no satisfaction. I wish I had an organ player right now. That would just like make this <laughs> right. We need to be ship-shaped because it's, it's too easy to be a functional atheist. The first week I told you about Christian-ish. Let, let me tell you about functional atheism. It's where you believe in God, but you live like he doesn't exist. 
I see a lot of functional atheists. I know you're a functional atheist when I hear you talk about all your grind and all your hustle, but no God. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of things you can do, but it doesn't matter how hard you till the ground. It doesn't matter how much seed you plant. There is one thing you can't do. You can't make it rain. And if you want to have any fruit in your life, you have to recognize that you need God to make it rain. You need God to open the door. It doesn't matter how much you hone your skill. It doesn't matter how much you perfect your brand. It doesn't matter how much marketing you do. You need God to open a door for you. And the problem is we overvalue information and we undervalue consecration. See, we think information is all we need. That's why Christians don't think they need to worship. I just, I just need to get here for the word. I just need to get here for the, the message. Can I tell you something? You can't apply this message without power. Understanding something is not the same as applying something. I can sit and we can go through every Greek word on forgiveness. You think you're going to be able to forgive somebody without the love of God inside of you? Without the power of God? You, you, you think you've got that much love inside of you? You're that good by yourself? That after how they treated you, how they abused you, how they overlooked you, how they didn't value you, you're just going to be like, hey, God bless you. No. And then after you see them, you're going to recognize that, like, I need to forgive them again. Because I got something in my heart that when I saw them, it just made me want to slap them. <laughs> so, now that's not trying to make you feel bad. That's called being human. And when you recognize that that is the human condition, then you can recognize your need for divine assistance. So you need God. I'll, I'll tell you this about worship. It's the right way and a wrong way to worship. Sometimes we've got we to gotta get a little more comfortable saying that there is a right way and a wrong way to do things. There's a right way and a wrong way to worship. This is not about music, okay? I recognize some people are more expressive than others. But worship, it is physical. It is physical. We're looking in Romans 12. Let me read that verse before Paul told us to be transformed. He said this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. I've just noticed it's, it's hard to present if you're not present. I mean, sometimes people make a big deal about, you know, hands or clapping or loud voices. I'll just tell you this. Absolutely, you can be reverent in worship, 100%. I think sometimes we get praise and prayer mixed up. L let me tell you something. Every time you see praise to God in the Bible, every time, you see raising of hands, you see raising of voices, you see it loud, you see clapping hands together. 
That's not charismatic or Pentecostal. That's biblical. Practically speaking, take the Bible out of it. We know that posture matters. You go into a job interview, what do you, what do you tell somebody? What do you do? Right? You present yourself well. Firm handshake. You go on a date, maximize a date. What do you do? This is pro tips for somebody. Put your phone away. Right? You lean into the conversation. Posture matters. Basketball game, I see those cheerleaders. They hold those signs, make some noise. You see the guy make the shot. He's like, you know, telling people to get on their feet. Why? Posture. Posture matters. Meaning, like, you have more to do with setting the environment and what you receive from it than what's happening up here. Posture matters. I'll just, this is kind of funny. Like, for me, I, I love watching KU basketball games. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I do almost catch all the games. And I'll watch them. Usually I'll grab a few of my boys with me, and we'll watch. And, uh, man, I will clap, and I will cheer, and I will yell. And I don't cuss because I'm a Christian, but I'll, I will I'll say things. I'll talk back to TV. Yeah, you know, like they can't hear me, right? I'm not doing it for them. Why? Because it's more fun for me. My family tells me I'm a loud clapper. <laughs> I, I will clap. I don't know they can't hear me, but I will clap. I get excited. Why? Because it's, it, it does something for me. It's not for them. Let me actually just talk about clapping for a minute. Because you know when we clap, like during worship, we're not clapping for the worship team. You know that, right? Worship team, I love you. We're not clapping for you. When we clap, that's an expression of praise to God. God has done something in my heart in this moment, and I'm praising God. When we clap for the message, that's not clapping because I said something good. It's clapping because we recognize that God is doing something in me. All right, that was point one. I've got four others for you. <laughs> I'm just saying this is an opportunity for you to connect to God. And just, can I just say this about worship, just wherever you're at? I would just ask you to take a step. Just take a step. If you stand but don't sing, maybe just try singing. If you can't sing, Bible says make a joyful noise. Just say something, mouth the words. If you sing, clap. That's the next step. Just put your hands together during worship. If you clap, just Raise your hand. That's, that's the next step. If you sing, clap, raise your hands, audition for the worship team. If you can't do that, we'll put you on the production team. Just, I'm saying take a step. Just always try to engage. Go, go back. Get out of your comfort zone because we've got to be ship-shaped. Shaped by worship. It's a, it's a mark of the disciple. You want to be formed? You've you got to lean into worship. You seek what you need. It matters. It matters. It matters. Let me talk about fellowship. Fellowship is the second one. Fellowship, admittedly, is a very churchy word. You rarely hear it used outside of churches, and that's because fellowship requires something of you. Fellowship isn't just being in the room. Fellowship means you play a part in the purpose. I'll read a quick verse to you. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect meeting together as some have the habit of doing. Rather, let us encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. See, this is why I have a hard time believing that some people are Christians when I only see them at church once every seven weeks. I understand. I don't mean you're not saved. That's not what I mean. You're saved. Your salvation is secure. 
We are saved by repentance of our sin and trusting in Jesus, nothing else. You can't earn it, nothing else you can do. I love the fact that it's that simple. I just mean I don't think you understand what it means to be a follower of Christ. I, I told you earlier, if we're not being transformed, we're being malformed. Well, when we're malformed, it's because we're misinformed. And the problem is when you're misinformed, you will intentionally or unintentionally mismanage what you misunderstand. That's why the enemy aggressively tries to get us to live in ignorance. Ignorance, ignorance is not an insult. Like it's used in culture, like say, oh, you're ignorant. We use it like it's an insult, like you're not very smart. But ignorance is different than intelligence. Intelligence has to do with your capacity to understand. Ignorance, all that means is there's some information that you have not been exposed to. The reality is we are all ignorant in some areas. But I think some of us are ignorant about what it means to be a Christian. I was debating whether or not I can say this, but I just just say it. We have bastardized what it means to be a Christian by reducing it to whether or not we have prayed a prayer. Now, I love the prayer. The prayer is awesome. We offer an opportunity to do that every week. There's power in the prayer. When we pray and hands go up and maybe I never see that person again, I praise God that they prayed the prayer. I'm not diminishing the power of the prayer. But it is functional atheism to think that being a Christian is simply praying a prayer. Where we've got a form of godliness, we live by some morals, some precepts, some best practices, but we're not following Jesus because we've neglected his commands. Jesus said this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. You know what says love one another? That doesn't mean love the world. Like, we should be a loving person. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. It's in the Bible. He also said, love your enemies. You should be a loving person. But he says, you want to know that you're a disciple? That you love other believers, how can you love other believers if you're not putting yourself in proximity with other believers? How can you have love for one another if you're not engaging in fellowship? Fellowship matters. In fact, that word phrase one another, 58 times in the New Testament, there's 20 times specifically it is speaking to the church. 20 times specifically, it's over 20 times that you cannot experience the promise and the power of what it's talking about unless you are connected to a local church. That means you got something to give. It means you got to be part of the gathering. It means you got to be part of the group. You, you got to get involved in that stuff. And that's why I want to talk to you about the third one, stewardship. Stewardship. I'm going to move through this really quickly, but you'll know you're becoming more like Jesus when you practice stewardship. What is stewardship? Let me tell you this. It's not just about money. It's not just about giving. Those are definitely part of it. But it really has to do with how we use our time, how we use our gifts, how we use our resources. How, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your energy? Is it all just on you? Is it all just 
consuming? Pastor Brandon, week two, he spoke a lot about this. Let me just read this verse to you. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. So a steward is a household manager. It's a manager. And I said we're malformed because we're misinformed. Whenever we misinform, we mismanage. Understand that mismanagement doesn't always mean that we're using it wrong. Sometimes it just means underutilization. Think about this. I got this iPad, got my notes on here. There's a lot of things that this iPad can do. Can you imagine if the only thing I use this for was to check the time? That's not a wrong use. It is one of the functions of this device. But what a gross underutilization of the power and potential of this device. Poor stewardship. If I just reduced it to a time check. But man, some of us as Christians, we reduce church to a time check. I went to service. Poor stewardship. How are you using the gifts? You know, it's not even just about giving. You'd be a tither, but if you're just consuming everything else, if you're not putting money away for savings, it's poor stewardship. All right, I can tell that one's popular. Let's move on to the next one because it really gets to lordship. Lordship, this is the fourth one. Here's lordship, a simple definition. God doesn't exist for my agenda. I exist for his purpose. To be a disciple, you want to be shaped, ship-shaped, lordship. It is really easy to know whether or not we're following Jesus. All I have to do is ask who's leading. Either Jesus is leading or we are. Either we choose Jesus or we choose self. It's not complicated to decipher. It's just not easy to accomplish. Because we all have egos. We all have preferences. We, we've all got self that wants to be in charge. But Jesus put it this way. He said, when he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, so he's got the crowd and his disciples, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, do you want to be a disciple? This is what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, Follow me. In other words, there's going to be a cost involved. It's going to be a cost involved. It's not going to be easy. Now, admittedly, that sounds intense, but it shouldn't come as a surprise that following Jesus has a cost. Because anything that is worthwhile in life has a cost. Anything of value is costly. The best things in life always are. But I want you to understand when Jesus says, I want you to give up your way, deny yourself, take up your cross. This is not punishment. It's preservation. Let's read on. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I like verse 36 it says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? So when Jesus says, Take up your cross, deny yourself. He's not trying 
to burden you or to just beat you into submission. He's saying, I'm trying to preserve what matters in life. You cannot really receive what I want to give you until you let go of what you've been trying to hold on to. And I recognize I'm talking about some hard things. Maybe right now you even feel conviction. You know, not all conviction is bad. Sometimes conviction is the Holy Spirit speaking to you, working with you, dealing with you about some areas where he wants to form you. He wants to transform you more like Christ. And I just, if, if you're here and you're like, man, I've, I've messed up. I've got some stuff in my life that is clearly not submitted to the lordship of Jesus. Can I tell you, there is so much grace for you. This is not a condemn you message. There is so much grace for you. Watching online, there is so much grace for you. I want to share a passage with you where if you feel like you've messed up, you feel like things are difficult, you feel like things are, are too far gone, I want to speak to you about the last one. The last one is hardship. Hardship. I don't know that you can really be a disciple without facing hardship. Many times we experience hardship because there's something within us that needs to be broken. That was the case for God's people when he spoke to them through Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He's known as the weeping prophet because he had a hard task and a tender heart. What God asked him to do was not very easy. What he endured was not very pleasant. Much of his life was marked by hardship, and I would just say by way of encouragement to many of you, if what you're going through right now is hard, maybe it's not an indicator that God has given up on you. Maybe it's an indicator of the exact opposite, that he's working with you, that he cares about you. Because that's the picture we get in Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, let me just read it to you, then I'll explain. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. This passage is interesting to me for lots of reasons. One, God speaks to Jeremiah. He says, the, the word of the Lord came to him, and the word said, go down to the potter's house, and I'll give you a message. I read that, and I think, God, why can't you just give me the message? You're speaking to, why, why do I need to go down? But see, sometimes in order to receive what you need to receive, the word for you is to get what you need to get. You need to get in the place where you're supposed to be before you can receive the word and instruction that you need. So he goes down. That in and of itself is significant. Lower part in the city, sure. No doubt representative of posture we need to take. 
Sometimes when we need to receive from God, we need to get lower. Maybe it's humbling ourselves. Maybe it's getting on our knees. It's just saying, God, I'm, I'm surrendering, I'm submitting myself to your lordship. He says, go down, get low. And he goes to the potter's house. He sees the potter working with the clay. Now, you know that the potter did not just start working with the clay when he got there. The potter was already at work, even when Jeremiah couldn't see it. The potter was already forming and shaping before Jeremiah got there. Just tell you God is working in your life even when you can't see him. He is fixing messed up stuff even when you don't see him fixing it. So he gets there and there's something messed up with what he's trying to make. It's marred. It means it has a blemish. There's something wrong with it. It's impaired. But did you notice that the potter, he didn't throw away the clay? He didn't say, I can't use this. He didn't discard it. Now he said, I know this is messed up. I know it's malformed, but I can shape it. I, I can shape it. And look at what God says. This is the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. It says, then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do with you as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand. God can do the same thing with you. Maybe you're walking through this list, worship and fellowship and stewardship and lordship, and you're thinking, and I'm missing the mark. God can do the same thing with you. Many times the way he does it, hardship. Hardship. I want to read it to you in the New Living Translation. Verse 4 says, But the jar he was making, it didn't turn out like he had hoped. So what did he do? He crushed it into a lump of clay, started over. God, why am I going through this crushing? He wants you to be a disciple. God wants to form you into a fully devoted follower. I like what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, endure hardship as discipline. It's the same root word, disciple, discipline. God's treating you as his children. I mean, he cares about you. He loves you. He's taking responsibility for you. Skip to verse 11. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. He crushed the clay so he could form it. He didn't discard. He says, okay, this is messed up. It's not the right shape. There's some imperfections. I got to crush it. Start over with it. I got to crush it so I can form it. God, why am I being crushed right now? 
Because he's trying to form you into his purpose. God, why is my ego being crushed right now? Because he knows what you really want. God, why is my hope being crushed right now? Because he knows what you really want. And in order to get to where you really want, there's a certain kind of person you have to become. He's trying to help form you. Hardship. Shaped by hardship. 